This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Acts chapter 2 will continue a series that we've been in on Sunday evenings, but the Lord has led us this morning uh, to this book to continue this series in preparation for our upcoming missions conference. Next year, 47 years of supporting missionaries, some of these who are on the walls around us, we've supported just about all of that time. A lot of others have retired, though they've not retired from their uh, service to Christ, but they've needed to come off the field and uh, are serving and continuing to walk with the Lord here. But what a privilege we've had. Heaven is going to be wonderful. I've mentioned this before. Uh, The thought, just I can't get over it, that, you know, eternity is so long, you'll get to know every believing Bible character, every angel, and every saint by name and personally. Isn't that amazing? Uh, you're you're going to be able to walk down the street, say hi to Paul, and just have a conversation because you're friends. Uh, you, you know you've you've known each other for millions of years. You know, and uh, uh, what a delight that will be! Uh, I smile as I think about uh, some of you, and you're going to get to know your guardian angel. He's got stories to tell. All right, <laughs> things that you did where he'll just smile at you, shake his head, and probably walk away. He's had enough of you, but no, not, not really. But they, won't heaven be sweet that way? But here's what's really going to be exciting. Someone whose language you didn't speak here is going to walk up to you and say, Did you, were you a member of Good News Baptist Church? Yes. Did you support such and such a missionary? Yes. Did you pray over those prayer letters that you received from that missionary? Yes. Well, you probably don't remember my name, but here is my name, and thank you, because God used your support, your prayer, here I am. What a blessed time that will be. Amen. And that needs to be our vision. Be thou my vision, Lord, and help my vision to be your vision for me. And then 50 years as a church, calling men and women out of darkness by witnessing of Christ. My goal this morning is to help us understand that this ministry is really simple in concept. It really is simple in concept. Holy Spirit ministry through the believer. How hard is it to go over, pick up the cord to your lamp, and just plug it in. How hard is that? Now, you may not understand all the dynamics of what happens when you plug that in, okay? But for us, those of us who are not electricians, it's pretty simple. Just plug it in, the juice comes through, and you have light. Do you know that it's it's really the same way as a child of God? The Holy Spirit indwells me. I just need to be yielded to Him, And if he has control of me, his light can shine through me in a way I I could just never imagine. 
So it really is simple in concept. Here's where the difficulty comes. It's more difficult in consecration. In other words, the Holy Spirit controlling all of me so that he can, he can work through me to do all of his will. Again, realize that the most difficult thing on this planet, everything functions according to the plan of God. In nature, stars, uh, the, the you know, cycles of, of stars and rotations of planets, and here on earth, animals doing what their creator has created them to do. There's just one thing that keeps messing it up. It's the heart of man. It's the heart of man. In fact, we are dead in trespasses and sins. We can't even know God without his illumination and the indwelling spirit of God. So that even after we're saved, uh, we, our old nature is put to death. We have a new nature. It's really Christ in us, the hope of glory. But the reality is unless we yield to him, we can still look pretty much like those who don't know him. And so... The consecration part, us yielding ourselves to his will revealed in the scripture and then a yielded heart, the Holy Spirit still does speak to us today if we'll listen. So in the book of Acts, we see him, the Holy Spirit, leading in every way. And so this morning, let's look together at what the Spirit can do. That's the title of the message. What the Spirit can do. Acts chapter 1. Let's just go back there. I want to point something out to you, and then we're going to come back to it in another message. But in verses 15 to 26, you have the disciples choosing Judas Iscariot's replacement. Now, there have been Bible scholars that have said they got it wrong, and it was supposed to be the Apostle Paul, and, and, and so on. But as you read from verse 15 through the end of the chapter, let me just make this comment. They talk about Judas. They talk about how Judas fulfilled some Old Testament prophecies. David would speak about my familiar friend who sat at my table and has eaten my bread and has then turned against me. That was all predicting what Judas would do at Jesus' table. There are other prophecies that are fulfilled, but here's the point. When they talk about those things and they look back on what the Savior or what God said in the Old Testament, those prophecies, then they take time to pray for the Lord to lead them who would be next. And the Lord leads them to a man named Matthias. And we're going to come back to that message later. But here's what we see. What the Holy Spirit can do, his choosing of leaders. The book of Acts, 38 years from Pentecost to the martyrdom of Paul the Apostle. In that time, what you're going to see from this book is this is what the Holy Spirit can do. And by the way, it's what he intends to do throughout the church age, not just in those early weeks, a good start. That's no. He wants what happened in the book of Acts to continue. Why? Because the same Holy Spirit that did that indwells us. Amen? Amen. All right. So that needs to be our vision today. His choosing of leaders. Next, we see his indwelling of disciples. Now go to chapter 2 and notice verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, 
They were all with one accord in one place. What were they doing there? They were waiting for the promise of the Spirit, and they were gathered there in obedience, in obedience to what Jesus had told them to do. You wait, and I'm going to send my Spirit upon you. Now, where is that place? We need to understand that it's not the upper room. All right. Evidently, according to this, they were assembled at some place on the Temple Mount. And by the way, in the early chapters of Acts, this is where they will consistently meet. And so when they receive the Holy Spirit, and there's a mighty uh, rushing wind, when that happens and thousands run together, what is going on up here? The stage is set for that message in which thousands will come to Christ. They're in one place, and suddenly there came the sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. All right, now, consider this. When we think about the indwelling of the disciples, chapter 2, verse 2. Note what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth, where it wishes to, and thou knowest or hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Let me ask a question. I'll be honest this morning. How many of you have seen the wind? All right, I didn't think so. How many of you have seen the effects of the wind? All right, yes, yeah. You say, I fixed, I spent time, Pastor, this morning working on my hair. I stepped outside. The effects of the wind. All right, I, we, we get that. Okay. Well, some of you can't ever say the effects of the wind, but, but it's, it's all right. Okay. In heaven, glorified body, you get your hair back. But it, the, the point is this, all right. The Holy Spirit, the wind is a wonderful picture of the Holy Spirit. We struggle sometimes with what he is doing. But I don't think you struggle to see the wind. You just trust that it's from God and that he is in control. You know, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, and he is in control. And so when you, when seemingly things like just, things are just blowing around and there's not a lot of, he's in control. You can trust him, all right? So that's what the Lord promised to Nicodemus. And here's what he said. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. That's, that's us. All right. Now, verse 3 says, And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. Now this is interesting. What, when the people rushed together, what did they see? They saw these believers, and they saw fire fire over their heads that looked like the shape of a tongue that had been cut in half. All right, so, so what, what does that even look like? Well, remember when Jesus was baptized, a dove came down. He's the Holy Spirit. You can't see him. Like you can't see the wind. All right, so the Lord, when Jesus was baptized, a dove came down the Holy Spirit represented himself that way so that they could see. Here, what they see, fire like a tongue over the heads of these believers. 
and it sat upon them. It stayed right there above them. Now, there's some wonderful imagery here. Spurgeon caught hold of that when he said this, quote, the fire appealed to their sight, those that were watching, an instructive emblem of spiritual energy of the Holy Ghost. It is significant, let me just pause, it is significant that it appeared like a tongue. Keep that in your mind because we're going to draw on that in a little bit here. Spurgeon wanted to say, a tongue set on fire of hell is Satan's choice weapon. And of course he's referring to what James says, but then he says this, but tongues inflamed from above are the special instruments of grace. In fact, our, our speech, the Lord says, can be uh, mixed with grace and, and how powerful that is impacting others' lives. But the Holy Spirit came on them, a tongue on fire. To do what? To be witnesses of Christ. And you're not going to get out of chapter 2 before you see that happen in a powerful, powerful way. Look at verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Now when you see that word filled in reference to the Holy Spirit, remember it means control. The Holy Spirit came down. What they saw were tongues like or on fire over their heads, but they were then at that moment controlled by the Spirit of God, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now let's talk about that word tongues for a moment. It's the Greek word glossa. When you go back in the New Testament, you see how that's used. It's literally speaking of the physical tongue. In fact, the most common reference of it in the Gospels is Jesus loosing or healing a physical tongue so that people could speak again. That's exciting. I mean, they, they were mute. They couldn't speak. Many times it was a problem from when they were born. And Jesus touched them. Their, their tongues were loosened. And how exciting to think that in each one of those cases, the first things they uttered were praise to God. But they couldn't do that unless the Lord healed their tongue, enabled their tongue. Well, in the same way, you and I can't be witnesses for Christ unless he loosens and enables my tongue. Do you get it? All right, so that's the word that's used here. Literal tongue. It's the form that they saw in verse 3. It's the same word. A review of the gospel shows that Jesus could do the healing of this literal tongue. The rest of the New Testament shows us over and over how the Lord can enable our tongues to do his work as ambassadors, heralds of the gospel. So here the Bible shows what he can do in empowering the little, literal tongue if we're yielded to him for utterance. And how does verse 4 end? As the Spirit gave them utterance. In other words, they spake what he told them to speak. I'm going to skip verse 5. We'll come back to it. But notice verse 6. Now, when this was noised abroad, and you can imagine the, 
the chatter and the discussions and this drone of voices, unbelievers wondering what is going on and some are pointing, it's going on over there. Verse 6, now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded. There was confusion because that every man heard them speak in his own, and what's the next word? Language. Now, again, I'm not going to pause here, but for a moment. Notice when the Holy Spirit empowered their language, or their tongues, it was a language. Nobody will get to heaven and say, I heard modern tongue speaking, ecstatic gibberish, and explain to me I was a sinner and that I needed Jesus as my Savior. That is foreign to anything you're going to find in the New Testament. All right. So they heard in their own language. Now that word is interesting. Uh, that word is dialectos. What English word do you hear in that? Dialect. Very good, class. Very good. All right, some Greek students here this morning. Dialectos. Now read on, verse 7. And they all were amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak... Galileans? Wait a minute. Now, just pause for a moment. Verse 7 teaches that it doesn't matter where you live, there's an accent. Okay? I've had people in Virginia say, you're not from around here, are you? Well, I, I, I am, I live here, but no, I, I grew up in the northern Midwest, okay? I thought so. Well, you know what? Galileans, they had an accent. And they also dressed in a certain way. And so they could tell by the way they were dressed, the way they were speaking, they're not from around here. How can these Galileans speak and every one of us is hearing in our own dialect? Verse 8, and how hear we every man in our own tongue. Now, which word is that? Is it glossa or is it dialect? Do you know what it is here? It's dialect. How can we hear in our own dialect wherein we were born? So this is what the indwelling Holy Spirit can do. While tongues have ceased and that the Holy Spirit isn't doing in us what he did in in this day, at Pentecost, they, when Peter preaches, and they'll hear him preach in their own dialects, he has promised, though, to fill our mouths so that we can witness for Christ. Listen to Mark eleven thirteen. But when ye, they shall lead you and desire, or I'm sorry, and deliver you up, the Lord told his disciples, take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak, neither do ye premeditate, but so whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye, for it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. Now, understand, when they're speaking and they're praising God because the Holy Spirit has now come on, the promise now has been fulfilled. And they're praising God, they're rejoicing they're not saying, all right, now let's think about who's out here and what languages they speak, and let's try to figure this. They, there was no thought about that. 
They just praise and everyone can hear the praise in their own language. What about when Peter stands up to begin to preach? He doesn't look out and say, Lord, there's, there's a really a mixed multitude here. How? No, no, he just starts proclaiming truth. The Holy Spirit empowers it. So not only do they hear in their own languages, but Peter preaches, according to the fulfillment of these texts, he preaches exactly what the Holy Spirit wants him to say. Luke 21, 15, again, the Lord speaking, For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay or resist. That's what the Holy Spirit can do. All right, so his indwelling of disciples, that's what he does, and that's the result when those disciples then are yielded to his filling, when they're controlled by him. Now let's go on to the next part of this. And this, is, this I hope will encourage you. This is so exciting. The Lord then draws these people to salvation. Again, we're reminded, who does the saving, you or Jesus? Okay, now let me ask you a question. Who does the drawing, you or Jesus? It's Jesus. You, you may be so logical and you may, you may be persuasive in your arguments, that's never going to save a soul. The Holy Spirit can fill you with words and use those words to penetrate hearts and to bring people under conviction where they'll come and be saved. And what Acts chapter 2 is intended to show us that as they are filled with the Spirit, they utter His words, then He draws souls to hear those words. So you think about our theme, witnesses of Christ, whether it's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth, your responsibility is to go yielded by, to the Spirit of God and let Him witness through you. Don't miss this. And He does the rest. See, it really is simple. What happened when a group of Spirit-filled believers begin to utter the truth Watch what takes place. Let's go now to verse 5. I skipped that, but let's see it now. Acts 2, 5, And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every what? Every nation under heaven. So I look at this banner here and I think, how do you do that? Wrong question. Yield to the Holy Spirit and watch him do this. He had just told the disciples, you stay here, I'm going to give you the Spirit, and you're going to be witnesses to everybody in the earth. And the first time they receive the Spirit, and they begin to utter what the Spirit says, people from every nation under heaven, that's what the Lord says, they're there to hear. Who brought them there? It wasn't their track distribution. It wasn't handing out you know, flyers on doors in Jerusalem. Now, nothing wrong with that. God can use that, right? In fact, He can lead you to do that, right? But the point is, when He is in control and you're doing it His way, every nation under heaven is going to hear. The drawing of unbelievers. So proselytes from every nation under heaven were there. 
And then in verses 9 and 10, for sake of time, we won't read those verses, but it lists who everyone is there. I would encourage you, get a concordance, get some Bible software, just start looking up who all these people are. They're there for Pentecost. And everybody from every nation is going to hear. No. What did Jesus said in verse 8? You're going to take the gospel to them in these nations, but I'm going to show you right now that I can draw people from those nations to me. So he's already set the stage as people from every nation are drawn in here. And by the way, just a side note about the book of Acts. These people are going to get saved, and they're going to give the apostles a head start. They're going to go back to their... These are just proselytes. These are people that initially have embraced Judaism. Now they're hearing that the law isn't going to save you. It's Jesus. And they're going to go back to their nations a little bit later. Acts chapter 8, you're going to read about an Ethiopian who works in the court of Candace the Queen. He gets saved. He goes back. And by the way, church history tells us that when he got back, there was a major working of the Spirit of God in Ethiopia. There's still a church in Ethiopia today. But it's what the Spirit did. So do we see what He can do? Drop down to verse 37 and watch this. So Peter preaches... Now when they heard this, his preaching, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Again, I want us to just understand what's happening here. When they speak back to the apostles, the Lord also enables their hearing. Because there's an exchange taking place. This gift of languages also is understanding the language when it comes back. When these people are speaking to Peter, he's able to understand them and able to give them an answer. He said unto them, verse 38, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins that ye shall, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, let me just stop for a moment. We're going to have a baptism service in a little bit. Some have turned to verse 38 and said, See, baptism is necessary for salvation. No, it's not. Let me just give you a very important uh, note about the Greek language. Unlike the English language, you can take the clauses and the phrases in Greek and you can move them around. They don't have to be in an order for you to get the understanding of the order. And so we could read this in verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and be baptized. And receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. All right. Now, we know that this is clearly what the scripture's teaching. Baptism doesn't save anyone. If you ask someone, when were you saved? When did you receive Christ? Well, I was baptized. I didn't ask you when you were baptized. When were you saved? In fact, Peter, later on in his epistles, will talk about this very thing. He'll talk about baptism being a salvation. But then he goes on and he says this. Listen carefully. 
not the putting away the filth of the flesh. Baptism water doesn't wash away any sin. He says, here's what you'll be saved from, a bad conscience. Get baptized and you'll have a good conscience before God. All right, so it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, baptism, church membership, anything else, but according to his mercy, he saved us. For by grace you're saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. One of those people in the scripture that we're going to get to know by name and get to know personally, think about this. The thief that hung on the cross next to Jesus. You're going to get to meet him. I don't know, maybe he'll be your neighbor up there. Question, thief on the cross ever get down and get baptized? No. No, when the Romans put you on a cross, you had the, you had the power of the whole Roman Empire going to keep you on that cross. Never baptized, but what did Jesus say? This day you will be with me in paradise. Why? Faith Alone, He repented, acknowledged Jesus as Lord, put his faith in him. Little bit of faith, an unconventional prayer, but the Lord saved him. All right, so the drawing of unbelievers. So Acts reveals the choosing of leaders, the indwelling of all disciples, his drawing of unbelievers. And then I want us to know, lastly, the providing for the saints. Go down at the end of chapter 2, and here's what you see in verse 44. And all that believed were together and had all things common. Now when the Holy Spirit indwells a believer, he loosens his grip on his wallet, or his, her, her purse. Okay? They had all things common. What does that mean? Verse 45, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all... All men, women, as every man had need. So the Holy Spirit controls, takes over, moves in at salvation, and then makes people generous with the things that are not really theirs anyway, but that God has given to them. They recognize that, they, they become generous, and they seek to meet the needs of others, other believers. All right. And so, keep in mind that this is why, you say, the whole matter of Ananias and Sapphira, a, a chapter later, and lying to the Holy Spirit. What, what is that about? Well, you need to make the connection with this and what happened there. Because they're claiming to be, in control, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, they're being generous. They sold the land and they gave it all to the church. No, they didn't. They kept some back. By the way, they could have kept some back, but they lied and said the Holy Spirit had us give it all. And they hadn't done that. All right, and so uh, it wakes everybody up. If the Holy Spirit's in control, you better let him be in control and don't pretend to be something that you're not. Now, moving on. So the providing for the saints, we see it here in Acts Chapter 2, and then it continues throughout the rest of the New Testament. And I'd like us to turn to a passage. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 
Some of you are familiar with faith promise giving. Some of you are not. So I'm going to be, try to be very quick here to explain what happened with the Macedonian believers, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Remember, when the Holy Spirit is in control, He loosens your grip on your wallet and on your purse, your things. You become generous. All right? Generous for the needs of others, not only their physical needs, but, but physical needs related to their service to Christ. We don't fo want folks to be struggling, wondering how they're going to make ends meet and so on, and, and be distracted from the work of being witnesses of Christ. And by the way, that, that means helping in these missionary efforts. See hope, and, and when missionaries have a need on the field and, and they want to help uh, believers in places like Myanmar and, and these other places, we, we want to do that so that those saints are not distracted, so they're able to continue to reach their neighbors for Christ. Amen? That's, that's what the Spirit of God wants, wants to have happen here. Right? And so in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. You remember in chapter 1, these are not spirit-controlled people. Therefore, they're selfish people. And you see it in a multitude of ways. You get to 2 Corinthians, now they're people that are right with the Lord. They've dealt with the sin in the church and in their own lives. They're right with the Lord. They're spirit-controlled. And now Paul is saying to them, look, you promised to take an offering for the needy saints back in Jerusalem. It's gone full circle. It all started in Jerusalem, and now we need to help those needy saints under great persecution in Jerusalem so they can continue to fulfill the Great Commission. You shall be witnesses unto me. Where? Jerusalem. Well, why, why are they taking this offering? Because Jerusalem, if those folks are starving, they can't be witnesses. So let's help them. So they were all, these churches were working together to be a blessing to the believers where this all started, to take an offering. Now watch what happens. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. Grace is simply the Spirit's enabling. Remember that illustration, plugging the lamp in? Controlled by the Holy Spirit, you're plugged in to have all the power you need to fulfill His will. Now, what about these Macedonians? Verse 2, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. How, how does that, how do poor people who, and by the way, this is referring to abject poverty. How do poor people give a great offering to help needy saints in Jerusalem? How does that happen? Grace yielded to the Spirit of God. Read on. For of their power, verse 3, I bear record, and beyond their power, see, this isn't them. They were willing of themselves, praying, uh, with much, uh, praying us with much entreaty, please receive this gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. We want to cooperate to meet their needs. And this they did, not as we hoped. Okay? We, we just hoped they could give something. They gave a great offering. Not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to who? Their spirit control. They yielded themselves to the Lord. And unto us, 
by the will of God as we were led. And so they had a great offering. They were ready to give that to the saints in Jerusalem. And Paul uses this, these poor saints to say to these wealthy saints in Corinth, now it's time for you to step up. We need to get this offering done. We need to get it to Jerusalem. Look at their example, what they were, do, what they were able to do as poor people through the power of the Holy Spirit, great offering. Now you do the same. Now what this is, is really the basis for what we practice today when it comes to faith promise giving. How can a church like Good News give so much to missions? Well, it's because people have gotten hold of this truth. If I'm saved, the Holy Spirit indwells me. As I yield to the Holy Spirit, I just need to ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to give? Not what do I think I can give. What do you want me to give? If, if people who are in abject poverty can give a good offering, I, American citizen, I can probably do more. But Lord, what do you want me to give? Let him show you and then say, okay, well, I don't have that, but that doesn't matter because you have it and you can give it through me. And so we pray about that. We, we let the Lord lead us. Here's what we can do. Now, the Lord can also use, for instance, well, you know what? You have this extra income here. You know what? I've given you this, and you haven't used it in five years. Sell it. There's this thing called eBay, okay, or whatever. Sell it. Facebook Marketplace. Give that to missions. It's, it's waste in space. Put it to use. The Holy Spirit may remind you of those other things, but let him set the amount. And then after the Lord has convinced you, that's what you need to do. And if he convinces you, it's what he can do. And then you will be receiving a card where you can write that amount on there. There's a place to tear that off as a reminder to you. Mine is under my, the glass on my desk, and it's hidden, so don't go looking, okay? Uh, but, but it's there, and I, I remind myself... And then I mark it in a calendar if, I'm, if I fulfilled my obligation to the Lord for faith promise this month. And I track it so I don't get behind. Right? Renee and I work together on that. But that way we can then see what all your commitments are as the Holy Spirit has led you. And then we tally that up. And that's what these numbers on the lighthouse are this year. 255,000 towards missions. Do you believe the Holy... We've prayed about that amount, all right? Do you believe the Holy Spirit leading that amount on our hearts? Do you believe that as we yield to Him, He can help us do that and even surpass it? Amen? Sure He can. And by the way, if you're new to good news, just watch and see, all right? But the folks that have been around here a while know, you know what? God can do that and much more. And so prayerfully consider what God would have you do. And then look back at places like Acts 2. Look at 2 Corinthians 8. And then let the Holy Spirit do that work in you. Let him do that work in you. So let's close. What can the Holy Spirit do through a yielded church? Acts chapter 2. Can he do it in 2022? Yes or no? 
Same Spirit of God who changes not. Oh, sure, he can do it. And by the way, he does all the work. Now, let me ask a hard question. Does the Holy Spirit need you? Trick question. Don't you hate when teachers ask that? No, really. Will God's plan go on and will souls be saved whether you participate or not? Yes or no? Yes. In fact, do you know that the greatest missionary effort that's going to happen on this earth is after the Lord raptures the church out of here? And he's already appointed, do the numbers, 144,000, 12,000 Jewish missionaries from every tribe. The JW's got it wrong. Okay? 144,000 go throughout the earth, and that will be the greatest missions movement ever. Who did it? It's 144,000 missionaries. No. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Now, does the Holy Spirit want to use you in being a witness of Christ. Yes. In fact, he expects it. Every one of us are going to give an account whether we we're witnesses of Christ. And we're going to give an account to Christ. How many times did the Lord say, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my... If you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. It's important to Jesus. We need to be witnesses of Christ, but to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's bow our heads together. Blessed Spirit, there is nothing that you cannot do. With God, all things are possible. And through the indwelling Spirit of Christ, Lord, we can do exploits. We can have abundant life. Lord Jesus, you said that we could even do greater works than those you accomplished when you walked on this earth for three and a half years. And Lord, as we sang earlier, would you help that to be our vision? Help that to be our vision. And Lord, would you impress on our hearts today that we are here to worship you and to be witnesses of Christ. That's why we're still here. And as we yield to your spirit, would you use us mightily that way? That every one of us would understand it's not so we can make money here and pay bills and do our bucket list of fun things. You do give us things to richly enjoy, but Lord, that is way down the list of what's important. We're to be witnesses of Christ. And so, Father, would you help us to commit to that today in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Christian, if the Spirit of God, and I shouldn't say if because He can. If He chose you, He indwelt you, He'll draw believers to you so you can witness to them, and He'll provide for you Take care of your physical needs and then help support the cause with your church of being a lighthouse for God. Since he can do all that, what are you doing? What are you doing? 
Some people don't look so fondly on missions conference because ultimately it comes back around and says, what am I doing to be a witness of Christ? Now, many of you here are being witnesses of Christ. I know you are. What a blessing. Would you ask the Lord today to help you be a greater light, a greater witness? Spirit of God, control me because I want you to do more through me. Would you say that to the Lord today? And then for those who are children of God, but you would have to admit today he's not in control. He just isn't in control. Would you confess that to him? Confess whatever else is in control of your life? And would you ask the Lord, Holy Spirit, help me, help me to yield to you and help me to be a witness of Christ. Lord, as we, as we have missions conference and this, this renewed focus, Lord, help me to be a witness of Christ. Would you say that to the Lord today and mean it, mean it in your heart. Young people, older saints, mean it. And I wonder today if there's someone here, you, you would have to admit, I'm still lost. This, all this talk about being saved, being, having my sins forgiven, that it's not based on my religious works. I, wow, I need to be saved. God has spoken to your heart today. Would you admit your need of Christ by simply slipping up your hand? Just hold it up. I'll see you put it down. I'm not going to point you out or embarrass you. I want to pray for you. Here's my hand. I need to be saved. Pray for me, preacher. Anyone at all across the auditorium. I need to be saved. Pray for me. Now, Lord, help us to commit ourselves to being witnesses of Christ. Thank you that this is so simple. We, we just need to be yielded. Say no to us and in everything say yes to you, Lord. In fact, you'll even enable us to deny ourselves. Would you help us to be a yielded church like the Macedonians, like the saints in Acts 2, so that you can do a mighty work for your great name through us. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's Word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.